What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, Thursday edition Sports Cards Nonsense. We have a trio today. Obviously, most people are here to see Jesse. I think that's fair to say. Sports Boy's taking over the world. Uh, we got Josh Luber here with us today as well. Uh, so we're going to jump right in with Josh. He's going to... We usually don't do the guests at the beginning because they're not interesting enough. But Josh, we have dubbed you interesting enough to start the show with. So appreciate the time, man. <laughs> I'm just going to note, I'm going to text Gary right now and let him know because I'm pretty sure Gary's been on the show. And uh, I'm gonna let him know that you guys think I'm more interesting than he is. So I think we shoved Gary at the back, didn't we? I don't. Yeah, I don't think Gary got first uh, first up at bat. So and he yeah. also has refused go, to Josh. come back on. So that's fine. He can well, stay. We, he can stay at the back. That's fine. We figured after our first encounter, we kind of had to give a little uh, more, you know, press the flesh a little bit more when it came to getting you on the show because it was not as a. It was not as a, uh, I, I guess, how would you say, a good meeting? Uh, <laughs> awkward would probably be the best way to describe it. Do you remember that meeting very well? I remember the meeting very well. It was um, okay. It, 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 it was a, it was a meeting. Mike, how do you recall? I've never felt more uncomfortable. I had. <laughs> I was telling AC. I was like, "Here's the deal. We started the show. We got fifty thousand people reaching out." My own, to my own stupidity, I had never really heard. I mean, I, I knew your name, but I had no idea. Stock X, your whole involvement. I was like, this is the most unbelievably awkward meeting of all time. It basically ended with, all right, I'm glad we're all still breathing. And uh, <laughs> separate yeah. your people yeah. were people, were humans. Okay. You like cards? But to be I, fair, I like cards. I like cards. You like cards? All right. Exactly. <laughs> Solid. To be fair, though, that was the kickoff for me personally of my celebrity sports card fandom. Like, I didn't even know. That was really a thing. I just because granted, eh, I'm so new to this card thing anyway. But when you pulled out like that Kim Kardashian card uh, in that meeting, I was like, that's a thing. Now I finally can develop a passion as someone who didn't grow up like loving sports. So I appreciated that meeting. If if for nothing else, that one 10 second moment, that was great. Have you been have you been beating me for Kim K cards on eBay? <laughs> I don't know if I can afford them anymore, man. They have been bid up so high. It's crazy. When we were at the National, 
Um, we have a guy who's a, a big fan, real, real nice guy. He went around. He was like, you know what, Jesse, I'm going to get you a Kim Kardashian card. We were thinking like maybe a couple hundred bucks, two, three hundred. He's like, yeah, I found one. It was like ten thousand dollars. Like I at this point, I don't know how how I reasonably buy into the Kim Kardashian market. Um, he did end up finding one that's not like the pop century ones. It wasn't autographed. Uh, but yeah, not not like what you've got going on, man. Well, there, there's just, and I, we get the paper and everything else, but there's two Kim Kardashian Upper Deck cards in 2009. There's the autograph one and the non-autograph one. You know, the non-autograph one is still selling for 50 to 70 bucks. The autograph one is, you know, is around a thousand. And then there's a die cut um, number to 50 of the auto one. That one probably is 10 grand at this point. Um, Cause obviously it's, it's number to 50. But yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think that like I think ultimately and, and I can get into all this, but like I think ultimately non-sport cards become as big as any sport other than maybe basketball. Right. Because culture is global. Basketball is global. Baseball, football, yeah. U.S. only. And I think long term, those upper deck Kim K's will be kind of recognized as her autos and the leaf ones. You know, I mean, leaf has a specific market, but it's not, you know, there's a reason why, you know, leaf yeah. is different than the other stuff. So anyway. Absolutely. No, I, I, I agree with you. Um in fact, so before we go, go too far into it, maybe we should just like kick off with a little bit of uh, history here so that the guys who, I mean, at this point, you would think everybody knows who Josh Luber is, but Josh, could you? We finally do. So that's a good thing. We do. That's a good thing. Boom, um, roasted. If you don't mind, could you give us like a little bit of your pedigree, like where, how you got to where you are now? Um, and I guess a little bit about the sports card specific. Uh for sure. Go ahead. For sure. No, that's great. And look, I mean, if you're not in a very specific lane, which really is, uh, you know, it's, you know, uh, males age uh, 14 to, to 22 uh, who collect sneakers, um, you know, those are the, the people that stop me on the street. But um, otherwise, no, I mean, I'm a um, I'm an entrepreneur. You know, I, I started and run uh, probably about five or six businesses at this time. Um, and. I'm 43, right? So I have the same story as literally every other one of us. Um, you know, I collected cards in the 80s, 90s, put the cards in my parents' basement when I went away to college and, and you know, did look at them for, for 20 years. Um, you know, when I was when I was 12, when I was 15, like all I cared about were, were sneakers and baseball cards. And as I was um, just sort of working through my entrepreneurial, you know, uh, journey, um, it was the summer of, um, of 2010 that sneakers started to really come back into to, uh, popular culture in the same way the trading cards are now. And I, you know, started looking at that industry more closely and ended up creating a, a, uh, a business that was very similar to sports card ladder. Um, it was a, a data and analytics company for the sneaker industry. It was called campless. Um, and that eventually we evolved into uh, becoming StockX, which is now the largest marketplace, kind of like eBay for sneakers and streetwear and, and other similar high demand products. My, uh, my partner in that, and then there's some, you know, interesting uh, um, uh, irony here. So my partner in that business was Dan Gilbert, who's the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers and Quicken Loans and most of the city of Detroit, which is why I've been living in Detroit for the last six years. So I moved to Detroit to build that business with him. StockX obviously uh, became a very large business and, and um, by far the most, you know, success that I'd ever had as an entrepreneur. And, um, but at StockX, we were always looking for what other products might make sense to put on the site. What other um, consumer goods really fit this supply and demand model that were really driven by 
um, those outside forces as opposed to, um, you know, CPG goods. Like, you know, a box of Cheerios can cost, you know, four bucks and it'll always be four bucks and that's fine. And we'll make an infinite number of Cheerios, however many people will buy. But sneakers and trading cards, you know, there's finite supply. And if you have a finite supply and you have things that, that people really like, there's a better way to, to buy and sell those. And that was the idea around StockX. And that was, um, I was a little bit lucky to be a little bit ahead of the curve getting back in the cards than I think most people. For me, it was, uh, it was um, the end of 2018. Actually, I was gone. I was living in Detroit. I grew up in Philadelphia. And I was at my parents' house in Philadelphia for Thanksgiving in 2018. And for some reason, my wife and I decided to drive there from Detroit. We had we have two kids who are now nine and six. They were however old then. We drive our minivan to Philadelphia for Thanksgiving. And my mother goes, Oh, you drove your minivan? You're taking all your trading cards out of my house. Time to unload <laughs> the cards. Uh-huh. That have been sitting there since 1995 when I graduated high school. That have been sitting and, and so fine, fair enough. So I loaded up the minivan. I spent the next like two months in Detroit every night going through all my old cards, you know, relive my childhood, trying to figure out whether any of these cards were worth anything. Like all of us have gone through that process. And, um, but also like very quickly realized that this would work well for stock. That's where at least I thought it did. So I started getting back in the cards, both on the personal side and, uh, for, for StockX, trying to, to grow the business there. We added trading cards to the site in 2019. Was and that Ben, was that the Ben Baller thing? Was that the first thing on StockX? Cause I, I remember like some of the buzz around that, but I actually never got into the Ben, even though I was a huge mm. breaker, I never did the Ben Baller thing. Hold on. Actually, I have this right here. Hold on. This is good for the podcast. He just walked away. <laughs> Jesse, make the people laugh right now. By the way, you better add some more banter or you're off the show, Jesse. I'll tell you that right now. So <laughs> it, it wasn't. So we did a. All right. There, there's two parts of this that you I, that you're um, you're you're probably inintent, unintentionally conflating. At StockX, once we reached a certain level of, of success, we had built a secondary market. We had lots of, of people buying and selling it. I was spending all my time then talking to the brands, talking to Nike and Adidas and, um, and Supreme and, and Vape, and then the trading card manufacturers, Tops and Panini, to try to get them to release products directly through StockX. We were the secondary market. We were trying to move back to the primary market. And the yeah. idea was, if you take the, 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 the fundamental fact that these products are supply and demand driven, then the logic is, or the hypothesis is, that there should not be a retail price for these products, that we should let the market set the price for these products, even coming into the market in the, the, uh, in the original release. And so we developed a, a model there that we called an IPO or initial product offering, where we actually used a blind Dutch auction. And we can go into all the details of how it works if you want. But the most important part is it lets the market set the price for the product. And we had done, the very first one we ever did was a pair of slides of sandals with Ben Baller. The slide set on them, it says Ben Baller did the chain, and which was from a, a, a rap song the summer before. And it was our first like big IPO using this, this new model to sell a product. And it wasn't, a, the slides themselves, wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. Like there was, I don't know, like 800 pairs of slides. I think they, they sold for an average of maybe like hundred bucks or something. But what was cool was, Harvard Business School or a professor from Harvard Business School reached out to us and said, hey, we saw this. We think this is a really interesting way to sell supply and demand driven products. And we want to do a case study about StockX. 
So I was like, sweet. Like, so I now I'm, I'm, you know, I got into Harvard that way, but never yeah, got into Harvard like the normal <laughs> you're way. A Harvard gre- you're a Harvard grad. <laughs> Will hunting over here. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so uh, by the way, and, and they asked me to come teach or like, you know, be in the classroom for the first time they were teaching the class. And that was, uh, um, April of 20, April of 2020. So wow. we ended up doing that one virtually. But the, the important thing was that this was, I, this is what I was spending all my time on was how do I get brands to release products through StockX? And so as yeah. soon as we decided to add trading cards to StockX, I was spending a lot of my time trying to talk to Tops and Panini Upper Deck and said, hey, and so we ended up doing, we ended up doing this release with Oh, Tops. that's right. Bowman Chrome X. It wasn't right. Ben Baller. That's right. right. I remember the boxes. Yep. Right. And okay. so this was a, a product that they created for us. It was Bowman Chrome. They made it a parallel. It was numbered to 31. I swear to God, the reason that it was numbered to 31 is because we were sitting around trying to come up with the number. And I was like, Reggie Miller's like, you know, my favorite player. And my email address is jluber31. And they're like, done. I was like, okay. And I was like, so wow. that's how that, that's how <laughs> things get. Uh, um, and so, but it was it was okay. one card per pack, um, yep. pre-graded by, by PSA. So you're going to get a nine or a 10. Um, there's a, there's a Vlad, there's a Tatis, um, those are your, your two big hits in there really. Um, and we ran it as a blind Dutch auction. So hang it, on real it, quick, Josh, let me just interject. So blind yeah. Dutch, you started at a price and it continues to drop until someone hits the buy it now, basically. Is that, is that the, in fact, in fact, so not, so not at all. Okay. okay. That is, cause that that's is a traditional how, Dutch auction, right? That, that it's a, well, that's what's called a declining Dutch auction. That's what Panini gotcha. does. Yep. And that's what yeah. Panini has been using for, for the last couple of years. And I'll tell you what, that's a horrible way to sell something. It's, okay. it, it's, it, it actually creates all the, the reverse incentives. So in a traditional Dutch auction or in a blind Dutch auction, the way it works is you tell everybody how many products are available. So let's say there's, there's, there's 10 boxes that are available. Everybody bids blind. You have a, a set period of time. So you give everyone three days and everybody just submits their bids. It's like, all right, Mike, what do you want to pay? Jess, what do you want to pay? Everybody emails in their bids. And the top 10 bids win. But, right, oh, okay. let, let's say, right, the way that the price then gets set is the lowest winning bid. So the, in this case, the 10th highest bid becomes the clearing price and everybody pays the clearing price. So if the top bid is, is $1,000 and then it's like $950, 900 800 and the 10th highest bid is $600, everybody pays $600, even the guy that bid $1,000. Okay. And what this does by by using that that's the the Dutch auction mechanism by doing that to create that clearing price, it creates a very fair system where first of all the ten people who are willing to pay the most win, so that's fair. But because you bring it down to that clearing price, over ninety five percent of the people end up getting the product for less than what they did. So they're all yeah. very happy, even though the price almost always ends up being much higher than what the retail price would have been. So look. I, you know, we're, this, this sounds, you know, uh, uh, we, we didn't make this up. Like at, at no point, like we studied the markets and talked to economists and talked to people that, that deal with IPOs of, of traditional, you know, assets and companies. We didn't make any of this up, but we spent a lot of time studying the market to try to figure out what do we think the right way, the fair, most fair way is to price a product and, and put it into the market. And I truly believe this is the right way. And Harvard Business School also thought it was, it was, it was cool. Uh, and uh, and the right way as well, and so I, then I was spending all my time trying to essentially convince the other brands in the ecosystem, both in the sneaker side and, and the card side, to do more. And for uh, for a million reasons, um, there hasn't been more of these in in the trading card world, um, and that's okay. Um, but 
the very short version of a, of a long story of why I left StockX is I left StockX to, to build a company that was focused on that, on the idea of true market pricing, the idea of that there's a better way to buy and sell these products. And could I either partner with, buy Tops and Panini, get the licenses? So that, could I somehow get into a position where I could be working in the primary market as opposed to the secondary market? And obviously, we're going to get into, I'm sure, you know, all the, the news and, and how this all played out, how I ended up working with Michael Rubin and, and we ended up in the situation that we are. But this, yeah. was, this was the vision from 2015 when we started StockX. And it evolved as I thought trading cards were a more perfect product for this, for this model. And then this was, a, you know, a huge test case to be like, okay, like that's, you know, the start of it. And, and you know, the fact, yeah. that, the fact that everybody was able to, to engage in that process without having to know you know, that it was called a blind Dutch auction, like that stuff just actually makes it more confusing. All of that was, was very validating, but, you know, not to spend all the time talking shit about Panini's model, but the, the declining Dutch auction is really bad because it, it gives everybody FOMO. It, everybody ends up paying a different price. So everybody feels bad except for the last person who gets it. Yeah. Right? Everybody, else it over, everybody else overpaid basically. Right, mm-hmm. right. Sure. And, and, and so it's the inverse of this, whereas this, you're like, hey, look, everyone's going to pay the same amount, which is also the logic. Like everyone's buying the same product on the exact same day. They should all pay the same price. So there's a lot of reasons of why, you know, I don't think declining Dutch auctions are, are a good model. It's, you know, it, it's good for Panini. They end up making more money that way. But I, I think it's bad for, for the market. So anyway, I'll stop there. So, but that's, you know, the... No, no, the, the, I mean... That's exactly what we wanted. Yeah, I had no idea what a blind Dutch auction was. And yeah, I mm-hmm. didn't know there was that much behind yeah. it. That's actually, the when you explained it that way, I, I do say that seems to be more fair for sure. So I like that. So I, I noticed like some of your comments sound a lot like what we've already heard from Michael Rubin. And, you know, we weren't going to go too much into this unless you brought it up. And since you did, we're going to talk about it a little bit if you want to. Sure. But uh-huh. about the whole fanatics thing, you yeah. know, you coming on as the kingmaker when it comes to the sports cards world in the next, you know, three, four years or so. The comments that Ruben has been saying has been, you know, we want this to be direct to consumer um, and we want a lot of this to be in-house, which it sounds a lot like the comments you're making now. Are you, which is it? It's a chicken and the egg situation. I'm just curious. Did you kind of plant these seeds to Ruben or the other way around or how did that work? Well, you're talking about some specific um, you know, thoughts around business strategy, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're now, he and I have been working together since, uh, for about a year. Um, so, you know, he, he has all of his own, own thoughts as well, but, sure. um, but we got together because I had left StockX and was trying to essentially figure out how I could move into the primary market. And I had this idea that this would be a better way, um, to, to, to buy and sell these products. And by the way, this, this doesn't work for all of it. Like we can get into the details of it, but you don't, you don't sell every product like this way, right? There's, there's just some that you do that. You have to have a holistic distribution strategy. And if you, by the way, if you sell certain products at direct consumer using a blind Dutch auction down that path um, and, and do it right, well, then you should have product that can sit on the shelf at Target and you don't have resellers just clearing off anything that shows up on, on the shelf, right? Like that idea that, um, you know, that, uh, that there won't be product, like, I want there to be product everywhere. People look everywhere in Target and Walmart and Wawa and, you know, in every baseball card shop, every baseball game, like there should be cards everywhere. But 
um, Michael and I were both. Um, well, hey, sort before of, you go past yeah. that point, you went cards everywhere. But doesn't that kind of fly in the face of your comments about like the o- like overproduction and like how StockX like the major thing was like you always wanted to be able to get that shoe that, you know, your mom couldn't go out and buy. But like if mom can go to the Wawa and pick up a pack of cards, like is that as, you know, a co- you know, as if viewed as a collector item to the guy who uh, ends up getting them? It's a, it's a huge it's a huge question, and a huge issue. Right. And um, it there is, there is no silver bullet around that. It, it is a, a holistic uh, issue that has to be thought of for every release, for every product, for everything that we create, because, you know, on one hand, we have as our, our top line goal to, you know, 10 X the whole hobby, the whole hobby should be maybe 50 X of what it is right now. It, it is actually still yeah. very niche and it, very few people actually that are, that are truly engaged. And we think it can be so much more. The flip side is the, the, the primary uh, goal in every product that is created, every card that is printed, is how do we maintain long-term value for this card? How do we make sure that we're not printing something that is immediately garbage that someone wants to throw away? And by the way, like there are times that those things will, will be at odds. Like it won't be a it won't be a, an, an easy thing to do. But um, you know, it's it's gonna like well, first of all, we're gonna have to get creative with a lot of it. But the, I also think there's a big opportunity. I like the fact that there are you know 40 plus different sets in each of the sports. Um, and maybe that doesn't need to be 40, but by having many different sets, what you're doing is you're creating different products at different price points for different people through different channels. And that's good. There should be product to target. And there should be, you know, national treasures that, you know, that, that maybe only sells, you know, direct to consumer at a really high price. By the way, maybe there's a product that is only available as a break. You know, maybe there's a product that is only available as a, a brand partnership, right? That's only available, you know, to, to your listeners or something like there's just... By yeah. having okay, now we're talking, products. Josh. Now you've got me hooked. Here we go. <laughs> so it's so easy. So easy, right? But anyway, like, you know, step back. Like, it's got to be a, a holistic strategy around it and something to keep in mind. But there is no, like, there's no easy answer to that. But it's yeah. just important to always be thinking about it and always be, be figuring out, right? Like, I have, this, yeah. I, have this, I have this vision that we somehow can figure out what to do with the thousands of commons that are sitting in everyone's house. Right. Like, like, what do you do? Like, I, yeah. I, I have easily 30 boxes over there, each are five row, you know, thousand count. Like, I'm never, I'm not going to throw them away, but like, and I've moved them from four different houses already. Right. But like, there's, <laughs> so I don't know. Do, right. Like, you we, heard my, I don't know if you heard the other show. You, you need to sell these to interior oh decorators, man, to the people who want sports rooms. You you wallpaper a wall with them, or you put them under oh. your desk like you did with the Griffey. Jesse has a lot of I, ideas. I don't know if Fanatics I, is looking for a creative <laughs> team. Or, I do. I actually do have an important question. Am I the only person yeah. who doesn't know what the heck a Wawa is? What are you talking? About? What are you guys? It's a gas station. You know what this is, Jesse? It's from up north. I figured you would know. I, I don't know. I grew up in I, Philly. I they don't have Wawa in Boston. No Wawas in Boston, and they don't have. Do we have them in Nashville? No, no. I only know it from TV right, and movies. Forget fanatics. Listen to me. Let's get into this Wawa discussion. <laughs> there you what go. We, there you go. Ronick's got it. Jersey. Yeah, Even Ronick knows what this in is. In Philly, ridiculous. Jersey, it's like it's like a slightly nicer Seven Eleven. Okay. They, there you they, go. They have a they have a a good like self service like not self service. They have a good like a deli counter where you can make get like a Ooh. turkey sandwich like late night. So it was always like you know the late night spot to like go get like a, a turkey sandwich. We have and we have waffle cards. we have Waffle House here. <laughs> Where you can go oh, yeah. get a heart attack at two in the morning, uh-huh. which is fun for everybody. So, so let me just ask this too, just to back up just a second. 
your position at Fanatics for people, or I shouldn't say at Fanatics, because this is going to be a whole new branded company, correct? Or no? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What What will your position be there? So there's a if there's a, a separate company that is, uh, well, it's called Fanatics Trading Cards, I guess, because okay. Um, but it's um, you know, it's a separate company. It's majority owned by Fanatics, um, as you saw in in the news. Um, you know, the leagues and PAs um, are equity partners in the company, and then. Myself. By the way, <laughs> smartest thing, I, I, I have never understood how you don't cut those people in on the pie from the beginning or why that didn't happen. I mean, you talk about added incentive for them to get involved. That just seemed ridiculously smart. So. Honestly, I had the same thought when I first started looking at all this. Like These guys should have been part owners of this business for 30 years ago. Yep. Um, so, um, so the leagues and PAs, uh, some investors, management, et cetera. But again, um, separate, um, separate legal entity and business from... From fanatics, um, you're you know you've seen the the licenses, um, and you know my my title and this was a self selected title is actually chief vision officer, which I don't know if you guys listen to Simon Sinek at all, um, who is a TED Talk type of, of guy and and but anyway, um, it's um, I'm I'm functioning you know CEO uh, of the business. I like okay. the, the title better of chief vision officer and. Um, and honestly, like as we as we grow, um, I probably won't stay in that role in the same way that I replaced myself as CEO at StockX in the summer of 2019. Once we got to a certain size and scale, I don't want to be CEO of a of a multi billion dollar company. I want to be CEO of a public company. Like I am good at at what I do, and we came to that. I came to that realization pretty quickly as we were scaling at StockX, and we brought in a, a more you know professional CEO. To help with the, the core part where I can focus on the stuff that, that I like doing, which is, you know, it, it's the vision, it's the creative stuff. And, and it's honestly, it's kind of like the startup within the startup stuff as we get to figure out how do we build a, a whole new technology platform to, to sell cards and what does that customer experience look like and, and the things around it. But, um, you know, whenever we take over the baseball, basketball, football card businesses, which could happen anywhere from, you know, a couple of weeks to a couple of years. Um, depending on on how things play out, those are huge businesses that are 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 you know are in process. Like it's anything change any change on that is going to be evolution, not revolution. It's going to be slow and strategic and and really thoughtful. Um, so, what are the other things that we can move fast on and and uh, and operate and act more like a startup? And a lot of that is around the technology that we build, and um, you know, and, and the other things around that. So. Anyway, it's it's kind of a long way, but um, you know, right now I'm sort of functioning C, um, CEO, but I 100% intend to bring in a a more uh, senior and, and more you know kind of professional CEO at, at some point. The reason I asked that is because you know obviously we Fanatics kind of makes the announcement, and, and and that was interesting to me too, which I'm super new to the whole corporate world. Anyways, I think it's been interesting how quiet Fanatics was. That was my first thing we said on the show months ago for someone to come in and make to me the most boss move of all time in the industry. I didn't hear a word about it. And, and quite frankly, the people I talked to who were pretty connected to totally taken back. Like we had no clue. No, well, idea. it was funny. Like you heard from the news organizations about it, like, but you never actually heard from fanatics until like actually a yeah. month or so afterwards. Yeah. Like our guy at Wall Street Journal called and he was like, hey, uh, here's a story from the trade floor. What's going on? I was like, I first we've heard. So I thought that was cool. But I also my first reaction, I, I mean, again, it's, it's we've said it already. I was terrified. Like, hey, a corporation is going to come in and do everything. And call it monopoly or not, I don't I don't know really what that term means. I could care less. I like the board game. But for them to do everything, I was like, this is terrifying to me because what does Fanatics know about cards? 
So the reason I was like, when we heard you were coming on as chief vision officer, running the show over there, I will say there was definitely a sigh of relief in the hobby. Because even though we didn't know you specifically, we had someone, and like I said, after the horrible meeting we had, we did look into it and we're like, hey, what is Josh's deal? The one overwhelming sentiment was you're a collector, big time in the collecting space. So that's kind of what your role will be then, kind of from as a collector at the helm and in the visionary position there. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, the my goal is, um, you know, is we want as many really smart people on both the business side and, and the hobby side to be able to, to come in here and, and do this. And, and honestly, one of the really amazing things about this, you saw the extraordinary valuation um, that the company received and the fact that we have all three sports, we have a lot of resources to go hire great people. And, you know, the one thing that that I'm will be hundred percent involved in more than anything else is, is hiring. And, and how do we hire great people and, and bring them that like, that's, that matters more than anything else. So like that's, that's so much fun to be in a position to start a company and have the, that resources to go after a hire great people. Cause you don't get that. It's like, it's almost the exact opposite when you're in a startup and you know, it's day zero and, and how much money do you have left? I'm trying to convince people to come and take lower salaries. Like this is the exciting part to go hire great people and grow the business. Nice. I, I think that's so cool because it is, it is to your point, you guys have the time and you have the ability to, you don't have to like rush to get everything done. Um, so we, we mentioned this when you dropped off because I thought it was really interesting. You pointed out how um, you're viewing this more as an evolution as opposed to a revolution in the, the card space. So one of the big things I think, you know, our listeners and just the hobby in general has been afraid of is, you know, well, there's a lot of people who are afraid of change. So that's that's natural. But like change to the point of like the question comes up, are we getting rid of the mom and pop card shop? Are we getting rid of breakers altogether? Like are is there still going to be that option out there that is outside of direct the, the yeah the fanatics corporate door a hundred percent in fact there should be you know 10x as much of, of all of that the the best um the best data point to keep in mind as this and, and you know it's very in the middle of the, of the white paper but StockX today is somewhere between i don't know four to, to six times as big as what we thought the entire sneaker market was when we started the business back in 2015. And that's because the whole industry grew. And that's what we should be able to accomplish here. Like there's so much, there's there's so many resources, there's so many amazing things about the hobby. There's so many important people in culture, not just athletes, but you know, the rest of culture that are part of this. The whole thing should be so much bigger. So anything that that fanatics does, and by the way, we have a tremendous amount of work just to do in, in the primary card market and and to to you know evolve the baseball, basketball, and football. Anything we do should be additive. I mean, if the whole industry is, is 10x what it is today in in four years, well, then that means that there's nine other breakers next to the one today, and there's nine other hobby tops next to the one today. So even if Fanatics came in and, and did two or three of those spots, which is highly like unlikely anyway, like it, there should be so much more. The, like the only way to grow the hobby is for for there to be hobby shops everywhere. Like that is the best conduit and card sh- card shows to be card shows and hobby shops everywhere. Cause that's how you bring in kids. You create that experience. Like it can't just be a, you know, an online thing. It has to be, you know, that, that real life experience. That's how it was for me as a kid. Like that was the best, like on, like, you know, on the weekend when my father would take me to the, you know, the card, the card shops in, in Philadelphia. 
So, so to that point, I know in your paper that you had mentioned about. By the way, how, hang on. Can we, we've been calling it, and I know you said specifically it wasn't. We've just been calling it the Luber Manifesto. So <laughs> we were doing it to a friend, but I was like, it's white paper. And I told no. him, it's not your fault. Ted Kaczynski ruined manifestos yeah. for everyone. Stupid it's, it's fair. It's fair. It's just not. I always said it's, it's not a forward looking manifesto. Like, it's not a playbook for for what we're going to do. It is very much like, hey, up until this right. point in time and, and what we see. But anyway, sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, uh, I'm glad we got that out yeah, of the Almost like a how did we get here is, is more, yeah, as opposed to, like you said, like the forward. Have you guys seen the movie Hackers? Oh, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. I love that <laughs> scene when, when he's reading the, yeah, like the cops, the two cops are reading the 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 hacker statement and Carney's like, you know, I am a hacker and this is my manifesto. And the one guy is like, these guys are idiots and the other guys are, i don't know it's kind of cool you know i like, yeah. like that like you know so, so you've you've come around to the idea of manifesting. i'm good i'm good okay and anything right, cool. that you can you can loop me in with with uh, the movie hackers <laughs> and what's going on there like i'm down yeah. oh for two no wawa no hackers jesse take it away bud <laughs> um okay so what are the points you made in uh your manifesto um was that one of the things that kind of really brought sneakers into the mainstream was the people behind it, like getting those celebrities, those big names to start not only like talking about them, but creating their own. What do you see that for? How do you see that going for the sports card world? Because it's not like you don't already have famous people associated. You've got all the sports people associated with cards. But how do you see that going uh, to further the sports card marketplace or, or the people in the marketplace? Yeah, I mean, look, this is where we started with, with Kim Kardashian cards and, and mm -hmm. you know, everything else is um, it's important that there are cards of, and we're, we're obviously using Kim as an example, but whomever it is, it's important that there's Kim Kardashian cards, not only so that her fans can buy them, but because she will care about cards if they're, or she's more likely to care about cards if they're cards of her. So like there should be there should be, there should be rapper cards right and you should have cards of, of Kanye and Drake and Pharrell and all these guys and it's way you're way more likely to get those guys to care about cards generally if there's cards of of them rather than trying to get Drake to come do a break for baseball cards or something right you know we we've seen a little of this like um, you know Post Malone's been doing a bunch of breaks for Magic okay like he genuinely collects Magic cards and he's involved in that but if there were musician cards. And it was mm -hmm. Post Malone and all of his friends were in sets. Like, how much more engaged would he be? The first time yeah. that Kim, first time that Kim takes her phone, is like, oh, how cool! Like my rookie card. Like, holy crap! Right? Like, <laughs> that is gonna that card is gonna be a fifty thousand dollar card, right? The fifty dollars. So it's mm -hmm. so so that like, and, and there's never been consistent cards for for non sports, and that's a big part of of what I want to do. And we have some ideas about how that that works because it's not as simple as, as making baseball, basketball, football cards. But I think that stuff is, is massively important. Um, and on, on a personal side, I just, you know, I just also really like that. Like I, I've been buying a lot of the sixties and seventies rock cards, Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and Bob Dylan. And, and there's a bunch of cool cards from the sixties and seventies that, um, that I think, first of all, it's just cool. But also I think as this becomes more and more reality today, I think that stuff becomes really valuable. So, Oh, I 100% I I tell you what proves that point, too. And this is not not in that whole realm, but like National Treasures Baseball, we were breaking this week. I was breaking some yesterday. The George Costanza card is going for a thousand bucks. Like, 
And that's a perfect, <laughs> and it's a Yankees uniform. Like, what a perfect card. Now, granted, that's going to be a $150 card in a month. Who cares? That's an awesome, I told Jesse, I was like, that's a cool, that's just one of the coolest things I've seen. I've seen it Clemente is. cuts and Ruth cuts. I've never seen a George Costanza Yankee Amazing. patch. It's amazing. Well, like an actual card. Because there have yeah. been like all these custom no, cards coming up. But, but I mean, actual cards an actual card out, out yeah. of a high-end, one of the better baseball products if you're looking for patches and yep. autos. I thought it was I, great. I, I agree a thousand percent. By the way, I, I'm not so sure that that card goes back down. There's only 99. It may not. Yeah, right? and it, that may be a weird you know, one. You know, yeah. I, just because I think so many people who buy it are just like... You're never going to see it. No, and you're, you're not selling it. You just want to own that card. Yeah. Can you imagine if that was an auto? Oh, ooh, I want it. Um, So... I, I've got a question about what we're seeing behind you. Granted, the audience can't really see this, but this we've is, got, obviously got uh-huh. some things that we can talk about that are not, it doesn't look like that's all sports cards. What do you have behind you? And is this something you're collecting uh, as well? So um, I am, uh, I just moved to Austin, Texas. And um, so I don't have uh, any uh, my, my room set up the way it would be. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen, it's on Instagram and floating around pictures of my sneaker room. From uh, from Detroit. Eventually, there will be something that will be much more interesting. So I uh, I have in this room um, the only three video games that I own. I think this is super interesting. I'm not putting a lot of money putting, yep. I'm not putting a lot Nintendo. of money into the the WADA graded yeah. games um, only because I spend enough money on on sneakers and cards. But I think this is absolutely fascinating, and I think it's it's still a massively undervalued market. But this is a, a WADA, which is the company that PSA bought, but it's essentially the PSA for grading video games. So I, I bought three games. They're just games that I, I like, which is Punch-Out, Kung Fu, and uh, Legend of Zelda. Because Nice. Because, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Sure. I don't know how to explain those games. So um, so I just think that that's super cool. So. Um, is that comic hmm. books back there or no? And then, and then I put this on here. You know, these are the only two comic books I own. Uh, and um, this was a, a function of a, a short-lived um, IG Live uh, mini show that Jason Concepcion and I had been doing for uh, a little while, um, and he'd been teaching me about comic books. So that is the, the first uh, appearance of Blade and the first appearance of Black Panther. Wow. Um, bo- both in relatively low grade. I kind of I, I didn't want to spend a ton of money, but I wanted to just um, just have them because I thought that was that was super cool. Again, culturally, like all these things are just yeah. such important like cultural, you know, moments. Um, and I think, you know, these things are all, all work together. So yeah. 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 In no world do I see those going down in value over time. Um, so what do you think? I'm, I'm curious your thoughts when it comes to grading companies, not just sports card grading, but all grading companies, because it seems as if that is such a huge part of what's driving this, because it's not like there haven't always been, sports card collectors or comic book collectors or video game collectors. But now that we can differentiate mine is different from yours because it's better quality. And these people say it like, how important is that? And do you guys foresee that to be something that, you know, the sports cards business that fanatic owns, will they have their own grading division to go along with it? Well, to answer your first question, I mean, grading is everything, right? Grading is what, change trading cards from being memorabilia to being asset, right? It, it standardized it. Like the, the standardization of trading cards changed everything. It, it reduced the friction of buying and selling. It made it easier to buy or sell. Those are all the things that you need to, to grow a market. Um, and to your point, you know, there's no longer an argument about, you know, I mean, we like, first of all, there's, there's something that was fun about that of like trying to like figure out if, if you know, there was a, a you know, 
a hidden crease on the back of a card or whatever. But like that just, it creates so much friction in buying and selling cards. So it, it's massive. It's everything. Um, you know, we don't have a, uh, a holistic strategy mapped out yet. Um, but I'll say that I, I think that um, grading is probably one of the last places that I would expect us to end up um, for, for many reasons. One, um, the incumbents have such a big lead and, and PSA is such a strong brand and, and is, um, I assume, is going to reopen at some point in the next couple of months and have you know every service available. And Nat's already said publicly he'll have $10 grading. Like, I just think that, that there's, there's so much value in the brand there. Um, and also there's just a lot of other opportunity, um, between us and grading that, that I think we'd better spend our time just from a, a business decision, um, as well. So, um, like I said, I, we, we don't have any of those decisions, um, uh, mapped out yet. I think a lot depends on how it evolves, but like, I can't imagine that we're going to create our own grading. So to all the guys out there who heard the news about fanatics, cause I think there's there was a pretty equal amount on you know our socials because we talked about it, the news that came out. Um, and we we saw an equal response of either guys like, eh, you know, this could be interesting. May, you know, let's see what happens. And then the guys freaking out like, oh, this is going to ruin everything. This, this can't be good for anybody. <laughs> what do you say to that audience? Like, what's your response when it comes to like, hey, you're overreacting or yeah, you know, maybe just don't worry about change. What what do you say to those people? Look, there there is a group of people that will get left behind. There is, and there always is. Um, as I said, it's like that in in sneakers. It's like that in any industry, right? Um, there's people that are out there that are still printing newspapers, right? Um, but you know, but for the most part, um, you know, it should be a good thing, like rising tide. Like the whole industry should be able to improve. No one can argue that um, so much of this industry is antiquated and, and just so far behind other parts of, of uh, you know, the world, just from the use of technology and data and, you know, everything about it. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's on everybody to, to figure out, you know, how to, how to change with, um, with the market. But, like, change is the only constant. And honestly, this industry has had not nearly as much, partly because of its unique history and and you know, up until three years ago, obviously there was not nearly as much growth and volatility and, and action. So it was, um, it was easier to be more stagnant, but, um, look, I, I think that, you know, the only people that, that really get, get burnt are the people that are like stubbornly clinging on to, to old world, you know, models, like that's the people that, you know, that, that get, you know, frankly, like truly left behind the rest is, man, there's so much opportunity here for everybody. And, but you gotta, you gotta like, we're not going backwards, right? Like the internet's real. And by the way, like crypto and NFTs are real. And, you know, I, I'm not sitting here saying that like on day one, we're going to have, you know, all NFT, you know, cards, but we have this, we have this unique, like almost, um, almost like, a, uh, like just, we have, we have this unbelievable opportunity to create a direct consumer e-commerce company at this exact moment in time where, if this was nine months ago, no one would be talking about NFTs or crypto. Three years from now, I think a lot of this is going to be fleshed out in terms of how do companies use crypto, how do companies use NFTs within their business. And we get to do it like real time right now, which is there's a lot of risk and there's a lot of like part that's scary about that. So we don't mess it up. But I think it, it's an amazing opportunity because every other company that's exist that's running today, there's there's change. There's so much internal uh, of, of friction to be able to to change how things are done, but like maybe we create an NFT for the company 
that is around access to cards. I'm, I'm like, I'm making stuff like, you know, like maybe, you know, maybe we create NFTs that allow people to, um, uh, to, to buy and sell cards uh, without ever taking possession, right. Or, or transferring it between people before they want to. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. There's just, there's a lot of ways to, to use NFT in the business without creating it. And so like, forget just the like, hey, we're, we're going to do what every other industry did 10 years ago in terms of like building websites and, and having, you know, t- you know, is there, is there any company in the industry that has like a team of engineers? Like, I don't think so. Right. Mm, like, we, not you know, like you're talking, not like just yeah. th- that sole goal is just to innovate and be totally new. Now, I will say like Panini, yeah. I've been impressed. I, actually, Panini's the one who got me into NFTs. Yeah. I just started about a month ago because I've always and even now I'm like, I still don't understand the difference between this and a JPEG because I'm just ignorant. <laughs> but I, I see the value. Like at this point, mm-hmm. I, I just it can't be denied. Like yeah. it, there's a crazy popular market there. The stuff's not going away. So that's right. It's 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 not going away, but it's also not it, it's not easy for to like. So anyway, so I, I, I to Jesse, like, I, you know, to be somewhat blunt, like, yeah, some people are going to get left behind, but I mm-hmm. think there's way, way more opportunity to, to get on the train and, and be a part of it. I think it's the same guys now, though, who, if you say, oh, here's a graded card is worth more than your raw Willie Mays. Like, well, no, grading's just a holder. I mean, that's cool. You think that you have left a lot of money and, and, and you, you're just stubborn. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm OK right. with that. Right. So. Right. It's a, it's a really, really good announcement. Exactly. I guess here's my biggest takeaway from this too. I, I haven't really heard any talk about money, which I didn't expect you to come on here, but I, I do like the fact, I, I think this is what me and Jesse thought. You were going to come on here and talk about, hey, there is vision for the future, creation, innovation, things like that. The collector is in is clearly in your mind. So I think that part does put my mind to risk. So let me just, we got a couple minutes left. Let me just, and, and again, this is totally feel free. Hey, nope, not talking about it. We're good. I just want to, I don't want to make this the focus, but I did want to ask because we got you. Um, so if, if you had to guess today, when is the first year we see a Fanatics branded card, manufactured card, whatever, any guess as to when that is, or is that just totally not on the radar yet? Well, I'll say this is I highly doubt you'll ever see a Fanatics branded card. Okay. I'll say that. Right. Um, the, um, and I, I, and we're already at the end of November, so it won't be this year. So I think by next, you know, sometime next year. There will be there will be some cards that that we create, but keep in mind it doesn't necessarily have to be baseball, basketball, football, right? There are other licenses and other things that that we can create, um, and um, you know we're we're actively working on on all of that to figure out you know where and what. So like I would almost guarantee that something happens you know next year, but you know that's an easy okay. one because we're already in November, so it's not happening. This year. <laughs> sure, sure, okay, yeah. that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, another question, again, same thing. When it comes to distribution, I mean, in your perfect world, which again I'm sure you're still building notes aspects of that world how much you know 2026 rolls around how much percentage wise again just best guess do you Mm. think we're going direct to consumer with like we're using the fanatics model right to you guys i think that's a massively hard question to to answer um to be honest like we don't even know um truly how much is going direct to consumer today until we you know either you know see what tops they are doing or get on the other side of it and and take a look and, and see that product right it's not like we have you know, access to, to their records. So we don't actually know. Um, but you know, whatever it is, like I said, it'll be a, it'll be a slow evolution. Um, okay. you know, it, it, it just doesn't happen, uh, quickly. And, and I want to say that he, I don't think you see a lot of products, not where they are today. Right. I think that you just see diff. you know, you, you see products coming in different places, but it's not like all of a sudden, 
you know, this hobby shop just doesn't have product or whatever. Like that doesn't, that doesn't work for anybody. Right. It's yeah. by the way, I mean, now we're back into the like sort of core theme of, of the white paper and, and everything else. Like we do have to figure out, you know, how to grow that and how to make sure there are product that grow, grow the whole industry while also knowing that there's some product that's going to go direct to consumer, some product is going to be sold, you know, at a true market price. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stuff to do there, but by the way, there's also a, and this is also sort of deep in, in some of the math there, right? There's a world where we can actually make less product, sell less product at higher prices in the right places. And, um, and everybody actually ends up happier. Right. Now it's, not as simple as that, right? And, yeah. and there's there's a lot of different products, but um, you know, right now there's a lot of money that is kind of just left to oh whoever yeah. has the best relationship with somebody. Like so, now you're talking my language, Josh. Yeah. So I was a breaker for years and made a ton yeah. of money, and I mm-hmm. I've been saying for years to my own detriment. At some point, someone's going to say, "Why do we have you know?" At this point, I don't know fifty, a hundred multi-millionaire breakers out there. Yeah, right. personally. Yeah super beneficial to me. I'm not arguing, yeah. but at some point it's like, somebody has got to come in and say, there's a better way to, and even just like to, mm-hmm. on a smaller scale, the retail guys, why can one guy go into Walmart and buy a hundred, hundred boxes at a time when I know he's going to the card show to sell them for five times the retail, right? There's just a lot of meat left on the bone to people who are just in it for the money and profit. So I, right. It, it, it is completely illogical to put a widget on the shelf at target that costs $5, but is worth a hundred dollars. Yeah, like yeah. it's just it's and by the way, that's how the whole sneaker industry was, and and there's a lot of reasons, a lot of historic legacy reasons why that is, but that's completely asinine, and all it does is it creates just misalignment. It creates it, it's just it's bad. By the way, breakers should be making a, a shit ton of money because they are building great content marketing businesses. Like I, I think there's so much room for breakers to to be building like amazing content businesses. But if you're making so much money by just getting the product, like, do you really need to invest all that that money and time into into film quality? Like, See, and that's what aggravates yeah. me is yeah. I think it's been so easy yeah. for us who have had allocation for years. That's right. why I think there are so many lazy breakers. There's no content. Yeah. I mean, that's why we started the podcast in the first place. It was to go along with something in addition to. But we were always about, hey, let's build a community. Let's make sure we know everybody's team. Hey, Josh comes sure. in. Josh likes the Phillies and the Lions. I got a $3 Barry Sanders by the way, just put in his next package because who cares? He's, his kid likes it. I just, I, I, that is why I have so much disdain for the breaking world. There's been so much more money made lately. It's just, well, who cares? Anything I put up yeah. is going to snap fill. So we don't have to care about customers. You have a problem with shipping. I don't care. You have a product <laughs> with your card shut up damage. I don't care. Because you don't have to. When you're making that kind of money, it, yeah. honestly, that is the most frustrating thing about it. So yeah. anyways, that's yeah. my little tirade on that. Uh, <laughs> by the way, like, like you're, you're dead on and like that will, that will change. Right, Good. that will change, yeah. and there, look, there will still be independent breakers, and they will still make a lot of money. But it'll be the people that run the best businesses, and 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 can get demand for customers that want to come there. It won't just because that you know they have allocations. Like, yeah. hey, I'm all for that. If you're good I at what like you that. do, I have no problem with you making right. money. I just the guys who totally. are bad at it. Oh man, it's brutal. Last question, and again, mm-hmm. this is, I think this is a wasted question because I don't think we'll get an answer. But I have to ask. <laughs> you know, obviously, people, king of basketball now is Prism. NTRPAs are the king of football, king of basketball, you know, tops chrome people have talked about. A- any thoughts to the people who say we'll never see those brands again or those brands will be somehow light? And again, I'm not a business guy, licensed out, sub license. Do you, in, in your head right now, do you see those brands living past the Fanatics takeover? I would love to be able to make, you know, NT basketball with Prism and tops chrome and exquisite. You know, I want I want them all. I want all the brands to do that. Whether 
whether that's possible, it's very much, you know, TBD. Um, okay. You know, uh, Michael said on when his interview, he said that, you know, uh, we've been, you know, considering buying companies and, and, um, and that's the most obvious thing ever, of course. Um, and if maybe if that happens, maybe there's business deals to be, to be done. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that I'd like to think is, is that we can create better working relationships than the brands had before, you know, Panini, Upper Deck and, and Tops, those guys did not get along very well. And, um, you know, like, I just think there, there's whoever ends up, you know, Upper Deck's still going to be there with NHL. And so, I don't know, I, I'd like to think that there's a, either, if not, you know, acquisition opportunities, if there's business opportunities to work with there. But, you know, as a collector, man, I would love to have all the best brands out there. And, uh, and we'll see if it's a possibility on the business side. Okay, so it's not like it's set. So it's not mm -hmm. set in stone then, like, hey, we're, we're no. for sure, we're getting rid of this, we're doing our own thing. Okay. No. I think that's a, the other notion a lot of people have, is like they come in with this game plan, and it's good to go mm -hmm. and rigid set in stone. Sounds oh, like it's no. up in the there's, air quite a bit. There, there's there's nothing like truly set in stone around that. I mean, that that's, you know, uh, there's we have a lot of, you know, we have a lot of ideas and, and some strategy, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out, you know, through there. But no, there, there's nothing set in stone. Although, like I said, if it's up to me, I don't think we ever see a Fanatics branded trading card. I don't think that's the the important part of this. Um, the flip side of it is that you know I'm excited to, to figure out how is the right way to leverage Fanatics, um, you know, 80 plus million customers and their access to all the sports mm -hmm. fans who I think should all be collecting cards and or at least know more about cards. How do I use that to just teach those people about trading cards and have some of them come into our industry? Like there's oh, there's yeah. so much opportunity there. Hobby well, boxes in the Fanatic shops at stadiums. Please. Oh, yeah, well, boom. just Roasted. worldwide. That's what we keep getting. Like all these guys from Germany and Australia and England. Like we can't get product with Fanatics reach. Man, what are, where's the limits, you know? Right. It's kind of crazy. So right. uh, so it's a fair to say that we can officially announce Fanatics is buying tops in the deck and Panini then, right? That's okay, what we got. so we're good. Yeah, we got I don't that. know what I don't know what got Wawa it. and Hackers <laughs> is, and they're <laughs> buying tops and Panini, and we're good. I, I, the last question I do, I'm just curious, yeah. just, just out of strict curiosity. <laughs> How yeah, sharp, sorry, before, how before sharp you, you ask your last question, wait, hold on. Before you ask your last question, Mike, did you did you end up reading the the whole white paper? It's okay if you didn't. It's only fifty three pages. So <laughs> I read. So there were certain sections I skipped over totally. Um, let me. God, I got to pull it up. I read probably forty pages. Um, the beginning was it the beginning where, when you when you had the index breakdown like with card ladder. Some of that I was like, okay, it wasn't yeah. a huge part anyways. But I was like, all right, you know, I don't. I talk to Chris and Christina pretty regularly. Um, but that was my biggest takeaway mm -hmm. was I think people were waiting for that to be like, hey, here's the vision for the future. Yeah. And I was like, this is not at all what this thing is. No. Like, yeah. which which I wasn't mm -hmm. expecting it to be. I mean, I, and that's why we try to tell our audience, like, today is not, let's ask 50 questions mm -hmm. about the future of fanatics. Yeah. Quite frankly, I figure there's stuff you probably can't say legally and the stuff that probably just isn't figured out. Who does it right. benefit if you can't answer questions? Like, what's the... Um, yeah. i tell you one thing that came across. I asked Jesse this too. I, th I think you mentioned it took like four months. I don't know how you wrote. Yeah. I have the patience of a six-year-old on Monster <laughs> Energy drinks. I read that and I was just like, I don't know how this dude sat down, pen to paper, and it was, and wrote. Uh, I just, I yeah. that's beyond me. I, I couldn't do it. It was obviously, you know, it, it's it starts and stops and, and sure. back and forth. But honestly, it, I swear to God, it started as an, I, an email. Someone said, "Hey, why do you think the market crashed?" And I wrote an email back that was a bit too long. And someone said, this is interesting. You should, you know, you should put this on Instagram. I think people would be interested to hear what you think. And um, I was like, well, let me clean it up a little bit. And then we started writing and then we started writing. And then all of a sudden, you know, so, yeah. 
Have you written uh, before though? Because like the formatting yeah. too. Okay, I was gonna say because that was the other thing, and yeah. you probably mentioned mm-hmm. that in there. I just like I've just never. This isn't just like an essay. This is yeah. that's why it came across to me as like a. I said the word manifesto because yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like section, you know, chapter, section, subpoints along that. Okay, next. Here's the next step. Almost like an evolutionary discussion as to how started here. Factors A, B, C factored into it. Now we've got it. You know, it's brought us to this this plane in the hobby. Okay, now there's. I, I did kind of like the logical development of it. Uh, there were a lot of words I don't oh, understand yeah. too. I'm just going to tell you I that th- right now. I'm not that That's smart, what I said. But I told I told Mike that the other day that on the show even that this is probably it, it, the way it evolved like to where it's like it's not jumping around and that it was entertaining to some degree. Like the footnotes are really funny in some places. It's like, yeah. oh, this is actually granted it's 50 pages. It took me a little bit to read, but yeah. I didn't at any point was like, oh, this is like, this is boring or this is like just killing me. I can't do it anymore. I, I actually thought, oh, this is something like anybody, a fan of the hobby would enjoy. Yeah, thanks. The footnotes are the best part. Like, it, it, and I have to, I feel like the whole thing is just an excuse to like tell some of the jokes in the footnotes. I was going to say, oh, the footnotes absolutely. were funny. Yeah, the <laughs> fact you just threw some of that stuff in, I was like, I kind of like that. Like, it's a very professional the paper. references. Yeah, yeah, I was like, yeah, perfect. Yeah, anytime you work that in. Cultural yeah, bias awesome. in me. So, or, uh, last question. So, how shocked were you? No, guys? you said last question and like then you three let, times. I, I did interrupt it. <laughs> and then you didn't let me <laughs> ask it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. How shocked were you? You guys pulled this thing off. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. I, just, I, I mean, because I was floored. <laughs> like, honestly, I, I think anybody who said they saw this coming, I said this a year ago. I thought Finax was going to come in and, t- and make a splash, which led to me selling my business. I did not expect this. So, well, Obviously, um, that uh, by the time it happened, I mean we knew it was going to happen. Um, sure. But you know, it was it was probably nine months or so of us um, working on this, and you know, I'll say that um, you know I didn't know Michael well before this. We'd met a few times, and I can't speak more highly of him, both professionally and personally, um, through this process and being close to him and seeing. Um, how he operated, how he made, you know, created the deals, the relationship. Um, And um, so I honestly, like after the first, after we sort of got our foot, uh, our our, our footing right and we sort of knew what was going on after I saw how he operated in the beginning, I actually had, you know, almost no doubt that we'd be able to pull it off. Um, It, you know, it just, was there something extraordinary intervening that was going to happen was, was Panini going to get word of it and, and just make an offer that was going to like completely destroy? I don't know all that stuff, but I, I will say is like, you know, I, um, I like to take some credit for the, you know, the idea and the vision and putting it together, but um, it really is, you know, um, you know, Michael's ability and his relationship with, with all those people. And, um, and I'm just really, you know, excited to be able to get and go build this business with him. And most importantly to that point is that like, he truly trusts me and my vision around this. And he recognized that, that he's not a collector and he's not a, a, a um, you know, a card guy and, um, and saw the business. And, and I think that's why we make a good, you know, good team here. Um, and so, yeah. So I don't know if that, that answers your question, but that's kind of how the evolution of, of our thoughts are. Nice. Well, Hey, we appreciate the time as always. I think we said 15 minutes in the email, 45 <laughs> minutes later, but no, it's all good. Hey. No, we appreciate I, the time. I have to say, I think this one much better than our first meeting. I don't know about you guys. I think it's like just, just a little. It's a toss up. Just a little. You know, it's <laughs> a toss up. We'll see. Anyways, thanks for your time. That is Josh Luber, awesome. the Thank future you. CVO of Fanatics Trading Card Company. Chief Vision thanks, Officer. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, we'll hope to have you back, man. Have a good day. Appreciate the yeah. time. See you guys. Bye. Well, there you go. Uh, 
you know, quite frankly, we came into this thing like, hey, we're going to do 20 or 30 minutes with Josh and then we're going to do. Yeah, we're going to talk this about the, the show. We're going to talk about the Lakers and because <laughs> I was getting prepared to bash Carmelo, Anthony Davis, LeBron pricing, all that. And Andy did some nice research. Um, I think we're good. Like that. If you have listened this long, you're only a cards fan. That's the show. Like, I don't it's hard to it's it's hard to go anywhere else after that. I'm not going to say like this is the best show that we've ever done, but as far as the reach, I think this show will get because there's so much information that he was able to give that we haven't heard anywhere else. I think this will be a really nice show for people who are interested in the hobby. So I'm I, I got a couple reactions. First of all, first of all, I'm we talked off air for just a minute. I was glad Maybe. it seemed like yeah. all three of us kind of laughed off the first meeting. Like, yeah, it was awkward. Who cares? Let's move on. I was yes. curious how that was going to go. Because oh, we, we've done interviews, me and Jesse, and me, me solo, where it's one thing off camera, it's another thing when the camera turns on. This was not that. It was pretty No, that, that's what I found. I thought after our last meeting that I thought I wasn't sure if I liked him or not. But I liked oh, him. Oh, I didn't like, like him at all. I told you that the first time. I said, yeah. I, I said the only thing I came away from this meeting is he dislikes me as much as I dislike him. <laughs> that's exactly what well, I said was, to you, and I, fe- just, and I felt it. It was such a misunderstanding of a meeting and nobody's fault. Just no one was on the same page that when you leave a meeting where no one understands, you're like, oh, I don't know if these people get along. But after actually having a conversation where everyone knows where everyone's coming from. Yeah, Josh is. I think he's a great guy. And I think I think more than ever, I feel confident in his ability to at least lead visionarily into the future of the card world. Yeah, I mean, there's some takeaways. And again, I hate doing this thing where. Because he he is so well spoken, I don't feel the need to go back and rehash everything. Because I think he said yeah, what he no. wanted to say, and it came across clear. But there were definitely some things that are interesting. You know, there are still going to be hobby shops. Like when you asked about the hobby shops, you didn't even finish the question. He's like, "Oh yeah, if there's going to yeah. be more hobby shops, so obviously yeah. there's going to be hobby shops and product to get to hobby shops." That seems like a I constant. Think there's so many relief, sighs of relief after that statement alone. I yeah. think that's going to be huge. Yeah. Uh, the breaking. I was going to make a comment there. I didn't because you're. Yeah, we're good. It's fine. If you need I'm to, biting my fingernails because no one can see this. Every two words. Um, <laughs> the breaking thing. I'll be honest. I've said for all. Dude, do you need to eat Stop lunch? It, what is going stop. on here? I'm not eating. Just cut it. your nails after you're done here. Cut your cut nails, your nails kid. kid. Thank you, Casey Affleck. Um, yes. Another Harvard grad. <laughs> the the whole thing about breaking. I agree. Like I think we were spoiled to get what we got, and if you didn't spend the last three, four, five years of of you know, awesome, you know, abundance, building yeah. a community around that and being good at what you do and perfecting your craft. I don't think you deserve allocation in the future at all. And here, here's a wake up call. If you haven't, now's the time because you may be left behind if you don't. Yeah. And, and I guess I just think it, he also comes off a lot different than Ruben. I don't know, Michael Ruben. I've never spoken to him. I can't imagine we ever will. He came across very business-like. We're going direct to consumer. We're cutting out A, B, C. This yeah, was a totally like different that. tone, temperature. This was and no. That's we're why not I asked that question. The revolutionary, like, evolutionary thing. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, are, are those his words or your words? Because that's kind of what I want to differentiate. Like, who's thinking this way? And obviously, that's a little more Ruben. And he, I think he kind of set things straight, which I appreciate. Yeah, even just the thought too. Uh, there's been this thing in the hobby, like, well, they spend all this money. No, they're not going to go out and, and sub license or or buy another brand. They're going to do their own thing. I thought yeah. Ruben came across that way too. No, we're going to manufacture, make, brand, do it all. This today was kind of like, we'll see. There's relationships to be yeah. made, had, nurtured in the future. We'll see. I think yeah. that's an interesting angle too. So the whole takeaway from this is no, there's not 85 checkpoints down the line of what Fanatics will and will not be doing in the future. I think the biggest takeaway is 
you've got somebody at least at the helm that is a collector, is clearly concerned about the overall growth. That was the theme of the discussion to me. How does Fanatics come in and grow the space, which I think is uh, one of the few times I think that stupid saying is actually truthful and applicable. The rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah, Fanatics, because Fanatics comes in from a whole different ocean to say, all right, now everything will lift. That's interesting to me. The fact that you've got someone at the helm who not only has that background, like you mentioned, but also has done something to this degree before with the whole sneaker community. Like, like you said, like where that was and how it, where it grew to is just absolutely insane. If he can do anything close to the card industry, we're looking at decades, if not into infinity to the future of this being a mainstay collecting hobby forever. Yeah, not to mention, it's not bad about your celebrity card collection, apparently. Oh, bro, I told, pumped up. I've been telling everybody, no one wants to listen. Actually, a lot of people We listen. get that case of Leaf Pop Century. We're ripping that next week? You're ripping that? I wish he would have talked it up a little bit more. When do we get it? When's Pop I, Century I think coming release is like two weeks. So we did get um, confirmed we're getting a case. So we're trying to get another one still. But we got at least one. I, the one other thing I did like, because everyone keep, there was a few questions in mailbag, which, sorry, guys, if you put a question in there, yeah. we apologize. We'll I'll try and keep some for next week. But um, we're doing a long show Monday, by the way, because we're only doing one. Wait, oh. are you? Oh, yeah. Hang, wait, on. hang on. Don't, I don't even know if I want to tell people because I feel like there'll be less people that tune in. Duh, maybe. I don't know. But wait, before we even say that, my point was that the the whole grading card thing. Everyone's like, oh, they're buying a grading card. They're going to be grading through CSG. You know, all that stuff. That's kind of been put to rest, I would feel like. And even though, yes, we still don't know everything and some of these things may change, it doesn't sound, though. Seems like, like it's on the back burner. Yeah, that's really a, a focus of theirs. Yeah, so if all you're right. PSA, SGC, you got to be excited. So next week, so Monday, three things are certain on Monday. Jesse, yes, sports boy, will be here. <laughs> Yeah. Jason Flynn from Soccer Cards United will be here to talk Irish and to talk soccer. <laughs> talk Irish, yeah. And I will be getting my surgery on Monday. I believe it's called a scope. He said they're going to put three to four holes in the elbow, go mm-hmm. in there, clean out some bone fragments. Doesn't sound like it's anything more serious than that. So if the That's surgery exciting. is late in the day, I will do the show. If the surgery is, er- by the way, cannot eat food. This is the first time I've ever had surgery. You can't eat food after midnight the night before. That's ridiculous, dude. That's hard. That's hard. What about my ice cream? So (laughs) Monday, there will be a show. There will be a big mailbag section, I think. There is a possibility it could just be But it may just be Jesse and and Jason. Jason. Yeah, which, quite frankly, I think would be fine. If I can jump on at the beginning, I will. But either way, there will be one show next week. It will be Monday. We're taking the rest of the week off. We're back after that with two shows. And we could always record a little early, too. I didn't even think about that if you wanted to. But I'm also fine just doing going solo. I kind of want to see how this actually happens. And I think Andy can kind of prepare the train wreck. Yeah, you have to watch it when people there's a car accident. (laughs) I think Andy can prepare some stuff, too. So, yeah, I actually think it'd be interesting. A different dynamic, too. Plus, plenty of people love you and hate me. This is like their dream come true. (laughs) So, all right. There you go. We're done. That was That's good. It. That was good. Yeah. yeah. Again, if you're if you're a casual card guy and you're a sports fan who listens instead, not the show for you. I totally get it. This is not going to be the norm. Uh, we'll be back to like our normal temperature going forward. But I just thought this was he doesn't really do any interviews where he's talking about any of this stuff. So I thought it was important to get it. So shout uh, out to AC, his associate for setting that up. Thank you. Not secretary associate. No. Thank you very much. Um, Never. So there you go. Cool. Awesome. 
We are See done. You on Monday. Sports cards not you may may or may not. Sports cards not yeah. brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, powered by Spotify. Because yeah, I don't think there's anything else crazy to announce. I don't have anything big on the show notes. Show notes. Josh Luber interview. Got it. Okay, we're good. So we Check out that. the sponsors. Do that. Yeah, on go to the website. Sports cards nonsense. Check that stuff out. Whatever. Uh, we will be live on Whatnot tomorrow night. Friday night, we'll be live on Whatnot Selling. That is the one live thing we're doing this week. So come over and hang out there. We'll sell some stuff. We've got some wax, some singles, et cetera. If and you're interested and you live around Vegas, check out Collectibles, the Mint Collective that's going to be going on in January. We will be there. Featured uh, speakers. Josh Luba will be there as well. Don't want to I don't know if he's featured like we are. Now, so. He may be featured like us. I'm not sure. I mean, it's hard to be better than us, but yeah, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> All right. That's Thanks it. for so, listening. Yep. Yeah, see you Monday. Bye.